You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. In today's episode, we are speaking to Sam Visser, a boy wonder in the beauty world who at just 22 has fast become one of the most prominent voices in his game. I first met Sam on a shoot a while back, and by the end of the day, it wasn't just the client myself who had become obsessed, but even the producer. He's got that air about him that's the makings of a star, and yet he remains entirely unassuming somehow. He's a go-to for people like Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, Amber Valletta, and many others. And today we talk about his love for the fantasy of it all, his lack of a need for labels, and of course the fairy tale beginning that is his real-life story. Hi, I'm Sam Visser, and we're talking about what's contemporary now. So Sam Visser, a name that's becoming increasingly more known with each passing day, all at the age of 22, I think is quite a mind-blowing story. At what point, given that you did start so young, did you realize that beauty was something that you were passionate about? I really found beauty when I was around seven or eight years old. I had all these female roles in my family that loved beauty and loved makeup and glamour. And it came from discovering that my grandma and my mom had a drawer full of makeup that, you know, nobody was saying was off limits. And before that, I was a painter and a sculptor and I would do nails and I loved clothing and film and cinema. So when I discovered that drawer of makeup, I was like, okay, here's another medium to play with. And it just kind of stuck. And here we are now nearly over 10 years later and can't get enough of it. What do you mean before that you were a painter and a sculptor before the age of eight? Yes. My favorite class ever in school was art. There was a good day in elementary school. I think it was third grade or something like that. Every week we had an art lesson from the art teacher that would come and I would be so excited because I was like, oh, this is the one class where we get to really have fun and play and be creative. The teacher didn't show up and I was so sad because like, oh no, we're not going to have art class now. But then I was like, no, we're going to have art class. And I want to have this period be something that we can create and have some fun. And so I just took the initiative and taught the art class. And I feel like that kind of translated into my courage to create in a way. So I was like, okay, from now on, I I feel like an artist. (laughs) You have a very unique story in terms of how it was that you broke into the industry. Well, I started assisting, or at least I would like to say being mentored when I was 12 and I would beg my dad to drive me to Los Angeles. And I was really fortunate to have parents that believed in whatever I wanted to do artistically. So when I said, oh, I want to do painting or sculptures or, you know, whatever it may be, they were like, okay, how do we help you do that? Because they weren't really in the arts. And when it came to makeup, it was the exact same thing. It's like, how can we help facilitate this? And kind of however they can. And that wasn't really like they had connection or anything in the industry. It's like, how can we just drive you to set, you know, at 12 and (laughs) drop you off and, you know, let's hope for the best. So they were very supportive in that way. So I started with my mentorship. I was with Sharon Galt and I was working with her for years and on set watching shoots and watching little films be made and all kinds of creative outlets. And it was the best mentorship because it was so about art and so about creativity and expression and beauty. And it was really a beautiful thing to see. I was still in school at this point, so I had to attend to that as well. And 
when I was a sophomore in high school, I was dreaming of something happening because I was looking for any way out of school. I hated school. I was so not (laughs) into academics. I was like, get me out of here. Like, if you have to make me solve another math problem, I'm going to die. Just my brain so does not work like that at all. And it's funny because that summer I had been like, oh, I'm going to join a sports team. I'm going to do high school. And then I did. And then I dropped out of it at the last minute because I was like, I knew I have a feeling something is going to come this year and pluck me out of school. And that person came. So I got a call from Chris Jenner's team. She was like, I want you to be my makeup artist. And that was kind of like the break and the send off into being a makeup artist. It was very surreal. My family is not in the entertainment industry. They're not involved in fashion. They're not involved in image making at all. How did your parents react to something like that? Oh, they were so excited. I mean, they were also freaking out and of course, like, oh my God, our son is going to not go to college and not going to finish school or whatever. But I was like, trust me, this is going to be the best thing that could possibly happen because I so believed in it. I was like, okay, I've been wanting to have a full time of just being a makeup artist and being creative and not being tied down by school. Two years in high school, that was pointless. I remember so much more of the, the later part of my teenage years because I was doing something I loved instead. And ultimately, did you end up finishing school? I did not. Gotcha. <laughs> I attempted, but you know, I was traveling so much and I was so focused on beauty and makeup that my attention was so off. I was like, I can't even tap into this because it was so not interesting to me at that point. (laughs) Well, especially if you're already given the chance to live your dream from such a young age. How exactly did Chris stumble upon your work? I don't know. It was Instagram. It was just a stroke of luck on Instagram. And I think that's what's so interesting about today is that the platform that artists can have now, I mean, it's a multitude of social platforms now, but how one picture you take can basically change your life. Mm -hmm. And Life is so crazy because so much of it, I believe at least, is destiny, but also so much of it is luck and so much of it is by chance. And I think that that case was so much luck of one picture being posted and her seeing that picture and liking what she saw. And and that's how I got brought into the environment. Well, most people end up going, obviously, via a more traditional route where they assist someone after graduating from whichever training it was that they initially pursued, and then they break off on their own eventually and work on developing their own clients and their own career. How do you think this very unconventional sort of starting point for you differs as a general experience? Do you think it shaped you differently in terms of how you relate to the industry or exist in it? I feel very, very grateful that I've been lucky enough to discover what I love and what I'm attracted to and what makes me feel excited. And I feel like that's the goal with everybody is to try to find what makes you feel excited and what makes you feel like that buzz inside. And being young while doing it, I've kind of discovered so many different parts of myself Mm -hmm. through this experience because when I was assisting, I was very young and I was seeing everything and I was being like a voyeur to all of the environment and seeing beauty and fashion and all of it happen. But a lot of my career, well, all of it since I was 16 really was me being in charge of myself. And so I've had this opportunity to discover what I really want and what I find exciting and compelling. And 
beauty and fashion is such a vast industry and there's so many different parts of it. Being a makeup artist, I think at one point was like a singular direction. And now there's so many different avenues that you can take. And I think that this time has given me an opportunity to figure out that I like more than just makeup. I love creating what's in the entire frame of a picture or of a film. And it's kind of more self-discovery in that sense Mm -hmm. and finding different parts of myself. But I think that that's what's so beautiful about what we do is that it's, it can be totally creative. Every aspect of what we do and everybody that we work with has their passion and we can get inspired by that. And being around all those people in my early years of mentorship really compelled me to now be a piece of every aspect of the frame. That's an incredible gift to arrive at that point of thinking at such a young age already. I think there are people who take a great deal longer, if ever at all, before arriving at a place where they can recognize that. I think there's just such a state of analysis and strategy and hypothesis that goes into a lot of navigating industries such as fashion. And I think your ability to be so genuine in terms of your relationship to your craft is a truly beautiful thing. Thank you. There was an article in Vogue, I believe, where you were quoted saying that the future is going to be a whole world of, what was it? To be a world of no labels. And I think that living that way through beauty is very powerful. So obviously labels are a huge part of how we understand ourselves and put people in different buckets. Can you elaborate on what it was you meant by that? If you don't label someone or something and you see it as what it is, and if you perceive something as beautiful and you don't label it, you don't have to put it in a box mm. and there's no boxes to have to be putting anything in then. And you just see something for its beauty. Looking back on my years, the two years I was in high school, <laughs> forcing the friends I was in school with or knew in that time, forcing them to sit down and let me do the makeup. It's always been LGBTQ plus. My friends were trans. My friends were non-binary. And, th- and these labels were not in my mind when these friends were coming into my life. Mm. They were people that were just creative, creative being very free. And it wasn't about what label they put on themselves or what others put on them. It was just like, I find you beautiful for who you are in whatever aspects I was finding beautiful. This is how I cast my shoots. And this is how I choose my muses. It's about the person and it's about the confidence that you hold with yourself. And I think that it's about being yourself to the fullest and not being afraid of what other people's opinions are. Mm -hmm. And this has been very natural. And I think that this is the way of the future and it's the way of now. We're in this time where this is kind of like a fad, having these Mm -hmm. labels and, you know, we have a trans model, we have an LGBT model, we have a non-binary model. These were not things that were going through my mind and they still don't at all. Yeah, I think the world really loves putting labels on people and on things and on everything. And that's why a lot of things become scary or ugly or unattractive to a lot of people is because it's labeled with a word. And if you don't label something with a word, you can just see it then for what it is. And then you can tap into the emotion of how you feel when you're looking at that thing. That's what it is then. It's not the label you put on it. Well, I mean, speaking of labels, a conversation that always happens when discussing beauty is whether or not something is a fashion or an editorial look versus commercial makeup. So 
as someone who doesn't typically use labels, how do you differentiate those different verticals within the beauty space? What do you think makes makeup commercial? Well, it's really the emotion of whatever you're trying to convey to whoever is seeing the visual. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we always say commercial is natural. And that's, I think, a commonality that's been kind of drilled into my head over years of being on sets, commercial sets, where they're like, commercial is natural, commercial is real, it's effortless, but it's really whatever you want to make it. It's whatever you are trying to say and trying to sell. It could be Frankenstein. <laughs> like if that's what you're trying to sell, then that can be commercial. I don't think that there is a line because I think it's interesting when you take makeup that is, quote, commercial and put it in an editorial environment. If you look at it for what it is, again, and don't put the label on it, then it is just a makeup look. It's not commercial or editorial. It's just a look. And that can be beautiful. Or that can be something that is very, I don't want to say like edgy, but whatever it is, it doesn't even need to be labeled. It can just be what it is. Another question that probably seems as though I'm leaning towards the idea of labels, but only because I find it incredibly fascinating. A lot of your muses and references are like generations far earlier than your own. And I was just very curious as to what it is you find the most inspiring about those more cinematic periods that are now several decades ago. You know, life is this big cycle. And I think that everything around us is always in cycle and something that feels new is actually old and something that looks old is actually new. It's very much this kind of cycle. And I find that time interesting because I find all times before us interesting because everything from the past is why we are living in the world now. So all of the fashion that has occurred before our time is the reason we have arrived at this place in fashion in this time. There's a reason for all of it, culturally, historically, financially, everything, economically, all of it. So I find all of it very interesting because film, fashion, art, all of it's a reflection of what is culturally happening because it's being outletted through expressive people. For me, it's not about the grain of the film. No, it's about why people are talking like that or why people are wearing clothes like that or just different storylines that could be happening. And it's all expression through the artist of whoever created whatever was created. If it's a fashion story that really inspires us, it's saying something about when it's happening and it could all help us. I think that the past can help us all, but it's also a way to look forward. Always. The word muse gets tossed around quite a bit, especially in creative industries. And it's mm. something that you had even mentioned earlier in terms of your own muses. So who would you highlight from those times past as far as people who have played the role of muse to you and even those that might play that role for you today? Oh my God, that's hard. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to mention someone and someone's going to be mad at me. I'm going to get a phone call after this comes <laughs> out, an angry phone call. Well, I had a friend in high school named Ella and she is incredible. I couldn't even put words at that point to why I found her so thrilling. And now I've been lucky enough to bring her around and have her be in some of my Dior images. And that's really exciting for me. And we met when we were very young. Um, my grandma was one of my muses. 
She was so glamorous and she had so much makeup. I remember opening her drawers and lipstick was like spilling all over the floor. (laughs) And she had all the colors that everybody hates now. And I'm like, I love those colors now. So much of the makeup was so like rotted and decaying in this drawer. But I was like, oh my God, I love all this makeup because she had not thrown away anything since like the 80s. And I was like, this is amazing. Like the concealers had all turned orange and like the lipsticks were like fuzzy, but it was amazing. (laughs) It was really inspiring. And I think she showed me this kind of glamorous side of myself that I was tapped into, but I wasn't as aware of it as once she had made me explore it a bit more. Was she the point of introduction to people like Marlene Dietrich for you? She totally was. She loved movies Mm. and she just had that air about her. She had like the longest hair that went all the way down to her butt until she was like, until she was gone. She was like 70 something and she had the longest hair and she always had an updo and she, you know, was always wearing jewelry and always had this kind of life that made her even though they didn't have the funds to portray what's seen in movies as like this overly glamorous life, it was more so the actions and the air about her that kind of made her this really special being that I see now. It's like she's my subconscious now when I'm working. It's this like wind of air that I feel of glamour. And that's what blows through me now is her and her feeling and her, the air of of her. That's incredible. So essentially she's the ultimate muse. Absolutely. Completely. And now I kind of look for her now in other people. It's a lot about the attitude. And she had an attitude. The air about her. (laughs) Yeah. But you mentioned your role with Dior. In some ways, it's very non-conventional. I mean, you're given such creative freedom as far as content and different directions you want to take ideas of beauty. And I think more often than not, when you think about a luxury house such as Dior with such history, you associate it with tradition and you would assume there's a degree of control that they would exercise over those that represent their brand. But I feel like you're given a very uh, unique amount of freedom there. So tell us a little bit more about that. They are so lovely because in beauty and fashion, as you know, that's something that is rarely validated is your creativity. Mm -hmm. They really believe in my ideas and what I want to put out. And they're very excited about that. And I have never had to compromise an idea for their commercialness. Mm -hmm. And they believe in what I want to say. And I think that it's so beautiful to be able to express that with them because as a brand, since Serge Luton's had your makeup created in the 1960s and when he was facilitating that movement of makeup there he was a revolutionary and he created something that people had never seen in beauty and he had created something that i still think is avant-garde in the world of beauty and fashion today and that was like 60 years ago and it's something that i think as a brand they have well instated in their veins as a brand and that's what they're doing now and everybody Tien was there doing the same thing and obviously I'm not in the same position as them but it's just about them letting an artist be free well you're also operating in a new landscape as far as having things like social and different platforms for content creation outside of the traditional channels of magazines and advertising and runways and such well 
I think that I'm very involved in social media because in a way, my platform is to provide images on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I use that tool to be kind of like a showcase of images that I create. And that's my gut excitement. That is what I look forward to is putting out my images and putting out my videos and working with the team and creating something magical. And I'm not very present on my social media as my face, per se, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to be remembered for my face. I want to be remembered for my work. Instagram is visual. It's a visual platform. We remember images. And I feel like the images that I'm putting out, I want to be images that I hope inspire. Mm -hmm. And I hope people feel something looking at them. And I think the partnership with Dior, they've allowed me to create this kind of world. And they've really been supportive of that. Every month, I'm able to create a new fantasy and Beauty's really going into that now of that fantasy. And Instagram is a fantasy. It's a purely visually curated fantasy. I think that I've been able to come into it in a time when that's very accepted because I think Instagram was used for many different things and it's being used for many different things right now. And I look at it as an image log. It has something as like a, I wouldn't say a gallery, but it's just something where you have images that can sit on the platform and be looked at. Mm-hmm. Well, you also touched on a very good point about the kind of return of fantasy in terms of creative and the visual language. I mean, it's not necessarily always true of what we see across celebrity culture, but in fashion imagery specifically, there's a direct correlation between beauty trends and what is reigning as the kind of aesthetic in visuals. I think for a time we found ourselves in front of a period where it was all about very pared down imagery that felt quite natural and the makeup was very no makeup makeup. In place of gloss, we had matte imagery, even from photographers whose entire history had been in a very particular vein of saturated colors and gloss and such. They were newly trying matte finishes and really paring down their work. I would imagine that the kind of return of leaning into that type of saturation, the dream, the conceptual fashion imagery is an absolute heyday for you. Absolutely. I feel like that's what I came into this industry for was the fantasy of it all and for the glamour of it all. And that's what my initial rooting in in beauty is. The love for glamour is the love for excessive glamour and really saturated, beautiful, full on makeup. That was my introduction to it. That's what I want to reign. I love it. And I think now we're coming into a time that there is so much youth takeover and there is so much Instagram and there is so much TikTok and there's so much coverage from the youth now being the dictator of what's going on right now in beauty and fashion. And it's beautiful to see the gravitating towards that, towards the glamour, towards excitement for something that is not reality. Mm-hmm. And I always found when fashion gets too real, it becomes stale for me because fashion is fantasy. When I look at an article of clothing and it's something really, really mesmerizing, I see it as a fantasy. I want to see fantasy. It's almost like I bring myself back every time I'm on set. I feel like I'm playing dress up. I'm that kid that was like wanting to do hair, wanting to do makeup, not wanting to do them per se, but just wanting to be around them. And it's, it feels exciting to have this kind of pulse on glamour and this pulse on unrealism. You know, my definite perspective on beauty and fashion and glamour comes from cinema and it births from cinema. And so instantly, 
cinema is n- never really reality. Mm-hmm. I find myself gravitating towards that because it is so unreal. And I think that that gets highlighted through my work because I have no choice but to let that manifest into what I create as well. And I, I stand for that. I just love the glamour. And I love that everybody is, not everybody, but just so many people that I encounter really are here for it too. It's exciting for me. And I think that also the glamour has a lot of different outlets. It's not just one thing now. That doesn't just mean like a red lip and a glossy eye and that kind of look. There is so much fantasy within punk. Like it's not just the high maintenance character. There are so many different outlets of glamour within the burrows of beauty. You know, and I'm a big person that's into knowing what's come before and understanding what's come before because everything that is now is uh, manifestation and result of what has happened before. Mm-hmm. And I think that even if somebody is anti nostalgia, you can't ignore the fact that so much of what is making up the industry now is so much of what has happened already and in a completely new way. I think that's the kind of 360 pattern of this industry that is so beautiful. It's always a constant cycle. And I think I see this and it excites me because something that you would have never taken inspiration from, even in fashion, can somehow turn on its head and become something inspirational. I think that learning movies and movie stars like, like Marlena Dietrich or Greta Garbo, the, you know, the classic, the classic women, these people are so similar in a way because the way cinema completely struck the world and really changed culture forever even in the 1920s and the 1910s when cinema first was really becoming birth and the world started taking note of it their fame their celebrity their outlet into the world is still very similar to the way we perceive modern day mega celebrities of now culture and I find it inspiring, you know, not only being inspired by their eyebrows, but also being inspired by the way culture reacts to them. It's very similar to how people react to someone like Kim Kardashian now. There's a plethora of stars now, and it's very similar. So it fascinates me. It is interesting that you're also able to draw those parallels, because I think to a lot of people who have that awareness that you're referring to in terms of cinema and history, there's always this notion that we tend to idealize the past and deify it. And the present is always some sort of watered down appropriation of it, according to people who feel really informed about what the history of the art world really is. And I think what you're saying is entirely true. I think it's kind of the way people say that when someone dies, they're far more celebrated than they ever were during life. The reality is, is culture very much has its own icons today, and it's just a different version. Mm-hmm. And it's always ever changing. It's always ever changing. And it's this cultural obsession that continues to go through generations. I mean, I don't know how many generations since Marlena Dietrich, but it's like, there's always this kind of cultural obsession and how beauty can be so watched by so many people and how those trends of what were happening back then, you know, the mascara, the eyebrows, the lips. Beauty was such a revolutionary thing then too. It was a fight. It was a fight to have women wear lipstick and makeup. And it was like this whole thing. And it's funny how now that there's these certain moments in beauty that happen now that do parallel, but they're so different because 
we've progressed so much in a way we're fighting for a different type of beauty now. We can wear lipstick, but how can we wear lipstick now? You know, like how far out of the lip line can we wear it now that it's you know acceptable on Instagram per se? And it's I've noticed that on Instagram and how that cultural parallel continues. Well, that's another thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, because I know a few people who definitely wear makeup in person. But when you look at their Instagram, it's almost as though they've had work done or their makeup is accentuated or perhaps it's a use of filters that you just can't detect. I'm not sure. As the artist you are, do you feel like makeup that's best for in person is different than makeup that reads better on social media? I think that it's definitely it's different it's absolutely different the way i do makeup for somebody who is going to somebody where people will lay eyes on them in real life is very different than what i do if i'm doing somebody that's going to be solely in an image Mm -hmm. it's very different it's the way the camera versus the eyeball breeds a face if you look at rudolph valentino's face from a movie watch the chic you see his eyeliner and his eyebrows and his cheekbones and it's like all these things on his face really suggest features but if you saw that in real life you would not know what to make of it because it doesn't really look normal you know but it's kind of how the difference between the naked eye and the camera really perceives makeup i feel like that also applies to life in general there are people that i found to be quite overwhelming in person and then when you see them on a television show or through some sort of a lens it's actually just enough mm-hmm. it sufficiently fills the screens and satiates your need for entertainment so i suppose that's true of a number of things last question for you do you consider what you do art i do i do consider it art you know and this goes for anybody that's creative and i'm not going to list because i think that There are so many things that people do that are much more creative than maybe we perceive them as. If it's not painting, then I think that sometimes it's easy to label it. I think that's not a creative job. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are very creative, but I think that what I do, it's an outlet to say something that I'm feeling emotionally and there is an expression in it. And I find it, I feel my best when I'm creating. So I find it to be also very therapeutic. And I do think it's art because I'm proud of my expression and proud of what I say and what I do feels good. So I would say it's art. I apologize because I actually have to ask you another question. I love your perspective oh, on so many of these things. So how would you describe beauty today? I mean, what is beauty today? What does that mean? I think historically it summons up a, a number of different images from movies and obviously magazine covers and all of the things that we find aspirational as far as aesthetics. But it's a word that's continued to evolve, not just through makeup trends or identity politics, but just as far as where we are at today in humanity. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how you would define beauty today. I think beauty today is transcending almost everything that we have experienced before in beauty, because I think that now What is perceived as beautiful to so many has been changing. And I think that with this platform that we have, which is all these different social media apps, we see what people are are outletting on themselves and how they're visually presenting themselves to the world. 
what beauty is today is a cultivation of everything around us. It's everything that's happening in culture, the fantasy, the illusion, the destruction, the terror, the anxiety, the insecurity, the excitement and the joy of like, you know, the world is so full of contradictions, but I think that that is a mirror to what is happening in beauty. You had platforms that told us what was right and what was wrong. And now I don't think that in today's world, I don't think that there is that ability to say this is bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that beauty powers, corporate beauty powers, or even anybody like me as a makeup artist had the power to say this is bad because people are going to continue to do whatever they want. And I think that's what's so great is that it's this time of completely no rules and that's going to be bent in another way in 10 years and turn into something else. A hundred percent. It's admirable, the clarity with which you're able to approach your job and all the things you care about. And I think uh, everybody will very much enjoy the share today. So thank you again for coming on the show and for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Christopher. It was lovely. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, Joseph Tom Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week and for additional content, find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com.